0: Alright, alright, let's uh, get our Bibles out today and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and then just before we get into the Word, uh, there's something that I want to give you today. Um, our ushers are going to help us with this. We want to, we want to pass out uh, an invitation. You guys can uh, go ahead with those. We want to pass these cards out to you. And uh, as they pass these out, um, I want to let you know what it is you're getting. Uh, we've made some invitations uh, to come to church. They have our new service time on them. Uh, it has the series that we're preaching, This Is Us. And so our hope is that you'll you'll take one of these cards, uh, and we're actually putting them in packs of five. Uh, because because we want you to take all five and I, here's here's what we're asking you to do rather than take these cards and uh you know just stick them on a windshield at Walmart I want you to pray and ask the Lord to put five names or five families on your heart thank God for gospel literature and I know that there are people that have been saved by, you know, just picking up a tract somewhere and reading it, uh, and, and that's great. But I want to tell you, there is nothing more powerful, nothing more effective than a personal invitation. Just a personal invitation. Statistics tell us uh, that an overwhelming majority of people have actually said they would attend a church service if they were invited invited so here's what we want to do we want to ask you to take these uh, five cards pray over them and say god who who are you wanting me to invite and i want you specifically to invite them here uh, to be a part of the second half of of our this is us series be a part uh, on october 8th uh as as evangelist ron rhodes comes to preach that morning uh he has the gift Of an evangelist. That means he has the gift of a soul winner. It means that God uses him uh, uniquely for lost people to be found. And we praise God for that gift. And we want to celebrate the gifts that God has given the body of Christ. And so I want to invite you to leverage that Sunday. To invite someone to come. To be a part of the 9 or the 11. Now let me give you some advice. Because you've probably already decided if you're coming to the 9 or the eleven. But if you invite somebody and they say, yes, I think I'll come at 9, then you should come at 9. If you invite somebody and they say, yes, I'll come, but I'll come at 11, then you should stay for the 11. Don't leave your guest here without you, okay? (laughs) Invite them to come. Find out when they're coming. And uh, I promise you, God can bless you if you hear a sermon two times. I know that because I listen to my own and I say amen. (laughs) No, it's not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not entirely true. But listen, we want you to take those, pray about them, and, uh, and get the word out. Now let me say this. We, we gave them to you in packs of five. We have plenty more. And uh, that weekend of October 8th also happens to be the bridge bust. Any locals that go to the bridge bus, you know what that's all about? Awesome. Um, so listen, if you want to take more, they're out at the info center. We don't want to leave them here. We want to take them and we want to pass them out. Maybe you're planning on going to the bridge bus that weekend and walking the mile and a half across and the mile and a half back. Take a big old stack of cards. It would be awesome when I get there if every vendor that I show up has a stack of invitations to our church already sitting there. That would just be awesome. So you can work on that. But invite people to come to church. Such a simple step of obedience. So take those. There's more of them out there. This morning, are you in Mark chapter 6? Find your place with me, Mark chapter 6. I want to read the story first, and then we'll dive into it. So we're going to begin in verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. We'll read down to verse 44. If you don't have a Bible, you want to borrow one that are in the book racks under the seat in front of you, you can do that. We'll have these verses up on the screen. Mark six thirty through verse 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and they ran on foot and And buy themselves something to eat. But he answered. You give them something to eat. They said to him. That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread. And give it to them to eat. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out. They said five. And two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and He broke the loaves. Then He gave them to His disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Father, I just pray today that that you would open our hearts to this incredible story. God, I realize I've spent much more time this week meditating on this text than anyone else in the room, likely. But God, would you help us by your Spirit to just see the truth That you want to impress upon our hearts and lives. God, thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Today, I want to get into this story. And, you know, there's something interesting about this story. You know, in the Old Testament, we have the major and the minor prophets. Now, the major prophets are not called major because they're more important. And the minor prophets are not called minor because they're less important. They're called major because they have more content. They're much longer books. And the minor prophets are rather short. If you applied that same uh, practice with the New Testament miracles of Jesus, this would be a major miracle. Not because it's a greater miracle necessarily, but because of the sheer volume of text that it takes up. This one miracle is the only miracle that Jesus performed outside of His own bodily resurrection that is written about by all four of the Gospel writers. Matthew John, Luke, and we've just read the story in Mark. All the writers talk about this same thing going on. And not only did they talk about this miracle four different times, but it's a miracle that Jesus performed twice. In fact, we read in Mark 6 just now, and maybe your Bible has a heading like mine. It says, the feeding of the 5,000. But if you turn over just a couple of pages in Mark chapter 8... We read that Jesus does it again. It's the feeding of the 4,000. In Mark chapter 14 and Mark chapter 5, or Matthew 14 and 15, again, we see the same two stories the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000. And so if we just did a flyover of this story at 20,000 feet, I think we could all come to the understanding and agreement that one of the things that God is communicating to us is that Jesus has the ability to meet our needs. Can we say amen to that? He can meet our needs. I mean, if this story says anything, it shows the supernatural power that Jesus has to multiply a little and make a lot. To take something that looks like there's not enough and to provide more than enough. That there would be 12 basketfuls left over after distributing one boy's lunch to over 5,000 people. But today what I want to do is I want to fly a little lower. And I want to look at some of the characters in the story. I want to see some of the people that were impacted by this incredible miracle. And hopefully today, we'll see us as well. As we work through this story, I want to start with the main character. Any good sermon, this is the main character. It's Jesus. Look with me again at the first part of the portion of Scripture that we read it explains to us that the apostles had been uh, out ministering. They just reported back to Jesus all they had done, verse 30 says. And then it says, because all the people were coming and going, Jesus wanted to get away with his disciples. Rest is important. Amen? Amen. Like nudge the person that just fell asleep and say, amen. Rest <laughs> is important, just not now. So the disciples had had this incredible time of ministry. They come back and Jesus says, Guys, this is great, but there's so many people here. There's so much going on. We don't even have time to sit down and eat a meal. So let's go to the other side so that we can get some rest. Let's go to the other side so that we can recuperate. So look at verse 32. It says, As they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But... Don't you love those moments? When you had a plan, but. <laughs> I was going to do this, but. And here comes the interruption, verse 33. Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns. And they got there ahead of them. Things don't always go the way we planned, do they? I mean, even if you're Jesus, things don't always go the way we plan, Jesus it's his idea. Hey, let's go get some rest. Let's go get a bite to eat. Let's let's just, you know, recap and revisit all the experience you guys had out there ministering. Let's talk this through. Let's be refreshed. But as they're leaving and going, it's not a very big body of water. People see them going to the other side. And they start running around the shore. And they get to the next people. And they go, hey, Jesus is going to the other side. And they start going. And then they find the next group of people. Hey, Jesus is headed over to the other side. By the time they get to the other side, there's a huge crowd of people. All these people have come. And they want... To hear Jesus. Now, I want to say something right here about the nature of Jesus. But I want to speak from his humanity, not his divinity. Because Jesus was fully God, absolutely. But he was also fully man. And what that means is that Jesus was prone to experience the same things that you and I do. Jesus got frustrated. Jesus got tired. He felt fatigue. He got weary. He got hungry. And so this is the humanity of Jesus saying, guys, let's take a break. Okay, let's go to the other side and, and let's get some rest. But I want to tell you today that Jesus didn't just die for us on a cross at Passover. He died daily. Every day, He died. And Paul said that that's what we're to do. We're to die daily to our will. And this is that moment in the life of Jesus that He's modeling for us what it means to, to serve God. That Jesus, though He felt tired, though He felt hungry, though He needed to be refreshed, and He could tell His disciples needed to have a little bit of a respite, Jesus, in this moment, sees the needs of people and He dies to self in that moment. He puts aside his own prerogative. He taught it in Luke 9, 23. He told the disciples, this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. But he also modeled it. And here in verse 34, we see Jesus modeling it. He said, It says, when Jesus landed, verse 34, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You know, I heard somebody, this isn't one of the uh, Beatitudes, but somebody added this one in to the Sermon on the Mount. And it goes like this. Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. That's a good one. It's not in the Bible, but it's a good one. These guys have been ministering. All day. And yet, there's a crowd. You know, it's interesting, you know, as I read this this week, I, I couldn't help but apply it to our current circumstances. And this verse answers a, a theological question. What do you do when a big crowd shows up? You start a second service. I'm only half joking. <laughs> Jesus is like, Hey! Awesome time of ministry. Let's go take a break. Oh, hey, more people. Let's, let's do another service, guys. And he rallies the disciples together. Listen, I I understand in our church context, we're asking more of people. If you're, if you're a part of the vision of this house, you know, you just heard Pastor Chris a moment ago asking you to, to buy in, to, to say, hey, I'll, I'll serve. I'll, I'll do more. For some of you, it's I'll stay an extra hour one Sunday a month. I'll I'll serve in the second service. I'll do I'll sign up for a ministry I've never done before. I'll, I'll jump in. We're asking a lot of you. I get that. I realize that's what's going on. The reality is there's just one motivation that Jesus has here, and this same motivation ought to be our motivation. And here it is in this verse: He saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them. The question for all of us, and this is by no means a guilt on anyone because it's so much bigger than what we do in the church in the morning, on Sunday, on the weekends. This is about all of life. But our motivation base has to come down to that question. Is it convenience or is it compassion? Am I driven by what's convenient or do I have compassion for lost people, for uh, for the body of Christ, for those in need of ministry? So the truth is this, there's a lot of people I mean, let's let's not deny it. We live in a consumerism saturated culture. It's all we know. We're, everything is 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 driven by the consumer's desires, needs, and wants on every level, and so that has bled into the church. And, and there's a lot of people that they pick a church based on convenience. I mean, it, it's close to my house. Uh... The service times work for me. I like the music that they play is the music that I listen to. And so they choose a church based on convenience. And honestly, there's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we're hoping and praying that by offering another service time, people would say, you know what? You've invited me before. I think I will come. That That works for me. That's convenient. And nothing wrong with that. But if you've served Jesus for any length of time, you can say amen to this reality that you... This gospel that we're trying to live out, this Jesus that we're following, it's not a gospel of convenience. I mean, it won't work for you very long if your motivation is just convenience. What you're gonna figure out is that people that are convenience motivated are, are the easiest targets for the enemy. You're the easiest target for the enemy because it doesn't take much at all to sideline you from purpose. I mean, just put a hiccup in your schedule. Just make something not work out. Make something, you know, stress you out a little bit more at work. Do something to just make your life a little bit less convenient. And that easily, He's already taking you off the team. You're, You're no longer effective. So what is the motivation base? Jesus didn't just die on a cross. He modeled daily what it means. That's why He told the disciples, you can follow me. But it includes denial of self and taking up a cross. And you know what I've noticed? Convenience never carries a cross. Convenience doesn't carry a cross. Oh, it, it may serve. It may get involved from time to time. But convenience doesn't carry a cross. The truth is, you know, I mean, we love to talk about miracles. This is a great story. I'm preaching about miracles today. I, I believe God for miracles all the time. But here's what I've noticed about us. Everybody wants to see a miracle. But nobody wants to be in a place that actually needs a miracle. Right? And that's why this convenience versus compassion thing is so dangerous. Because if we're afraid to to tread into waters that that may require us to to be at a place of sacrifice, a place of desperation, a place of dependence upon God, if we're not willing to go into those places, we're never going to be at the place where we receive the miracle of God. So we would love to see a miracle, but we don't want to ever be in a place where we need a miracle. The truth is, Jesus Jesus could have been moved by his emotions. He could have been moved by his appetite or by fatigue. But that's not not what happened. Look at it one more time before we move on. Verse 34, it says, So Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd. He saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Here's the words that I underlined in my Bible. So he began. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. If we could see what Jesus sees and feel what Jesus felt, we would do what Jesus did. He saw the crowd. He was moved with compassion. So he began. He saw the crowd. He was moved with compassion. So he began. Not from a place of convenience. From a place of compassion. He saw the crowd. If we could see what he sees, he was moved with compassion. If we could just feel the way that he feels about people. So he began. We would start. We would start somewhere. We would serve somebody, we would love somebody, we would tell somebody about Jesus. We would, we would give in some relief effort or we would support a missionary or we would tithe to the church. We would do something, we would have to do something if we saw what he sees and felt what he feels. Let me talk about another character in this story as we move forward. The Bible says in verse 35, By this time it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place they said. And it's already very late. And here's the rationale they came to. Verse 36. Send the people away. So that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages. And buy something to eat. But Jesus answered. You give them something to eat. And they said to him. They said to him. That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we going to. Go and spend that much on bread and give it to them. Now, some, some scholars believe that, that maybe that was exactly what they had in, in the, in the ministry purse. That maybe, you know, they had, had their uh, financial review that morning and they knew exactly what was in there. Maybe that's why they said, are we supposed to give everything? That's the question a lot of people ask of God. What do you expect from me? Everything? But, Mark's too kind, truthfully. Mark says, they said to Jesus. But John, John just calls people out. When John tells this story, he tells us exactly who it was. He says, it was, it was Philip. It, Philip's the one that asked the stupid question. And, and I love John's telling of it, because not only does he tell us that it was Philip that asked the question, but he also tells us that Jesus Purpose for asking the question was just to test them. Listen to this. It's in John chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. It says, same story, different author. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It, this little story just it amazed me that, that Jesus would ask him such a difficult question. And yet then John tells us now Jesus actually only asked him to test him. He, he knew what he was gonna do. He just wanted to see what Philip. Thought he should do Have you ever been driving down the road You're jamming out to your favorite song You're listening to the radio And all of a sudden The song stops And you hear And you jump out of your skin And the voice comes on This is a test Of the emergency broadcast system You ever had that moment? You know just You're trying to turn the radio down This is a -a 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 test And this is one of those moments For Philip They give you those tests because they want to make sure that the communication lines are open. They want to make sure that if this was a real crisis, you would know how to get a hold of you. They would know how to tell you what you need to know to get you where you need to go. It's in case of a real emergency. This is how we communicate. You get on the right frequency. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing here with Philip. He says, I want to make sure you're dialed in, Philip. I'm going to test you here. And he asked him this question. It's a test for Philip, but it, it's also a test for us. You might be facing some questions that you don't have answers to. Maybe this morning you're 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 asking questions. You're going, it's just not possible. How can we feed all these people? This is not possible. I'm going to tell you this morning, be encouraged. It's just a test. In fact, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He already knows. You might be fretting over it. You might be wringing your hands. You might be wondering, but Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He's not up there in heaven trying to brainstorm. He's not got the dry erase board out trying to figure out how to solve your problem. He already knows what he's going to do. And yet sometimes he still allows you to sit and wrestle with the question. And for some of us, that's right where we are. We're wrestling with the question. But I want to challenge you today. Don't despair over what you're facing. It's only a test. It's only a test. It's an opportunity for you to recalibrate your life. It's an opportunity for you to dial into the right frequency. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good Work. That's the capability of God. He's not wringing his hands. He's not worried about it. All right. So when the enemy comes in and says, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. You're never. It's, it's not going to work. There's no solution. You just go. Aah! This is just a test of the emergency broadcast system. And the emergency line, Jeremiah 33, three, call upon me and I will show you great and mighty works that you do not know. God is available to us. So the challenge from Jesus to Philip is, is this. He says in verse 37, He says, You feed them. You give them something to eat. And right away, Philip does what we would probably start doing. He starts doing the math. You, you feed them. Okay, well, you have 5,000 divided by 200 denarii. cost some bread. And, you know, He's trying to figure all this out. Now some some theologians believe that Jesus was picking on Philip because he actually was from Bethsaida, which is only nine miles away. And so maybe he would be the one that might actually know the closest place to buy that much bread and fish for everybody. The truth is, we all do the same thing. When we see impossible circumstances, we start doing the math. We start running the numbers. We start trying to figure out how can we make this work. And can I just say, if you try to calculate your obedience, you're always going to come up short. You can't calculate your obedience to the Word of God. The math never works. It just doesn't. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah said to the widow of Zarephath, he said, give me something to eat. You remember the story? He said, give me something to eat. She said, look, I don't have anything to eat. All I got is a handful of flour, a little bit of oil. You caught me in the process of gathering sticks I'm going to go home, make a fire, cook this so me and my son can eat our last meal and we're going to die. Not enough. The math doesn't work. And the prophet of God says, okay, do that. But first fix me something to eat. And the Bible says that the oil never ran out. Her provisions never ran out through an entire season of famine while the rest of the world was in in hunger and lack. She was provided for because she didn't crunch the numbers. She didn't do the math. She just said, Okay, God, if you want me to do this, I'll do this. You remember Peter and John in Acts they're going up to the temple and there's a, a crippled man by the gate called Beautiful. And he says, alms, alms, alms for the poor. And Peter and John look at him and they say, silver and gold have I none. But what I have give I unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man was made whole. Why? They didn't do the math. Oh man, he, he needs money. I, you got, I, don't have, I don't have any money. I don't, Jesus will never ask you for what you don't have. We should never undervalue what we do. What I have, I give to you. So the question on the test is, who's your source? That's really what Jesus wanted to know. Hey, Philip, who are, who are you trusting? I mean, now, it says the feeding of the 5,000, but Matthew's telling of the story says plainly that that was only the men. It didn't count the women and children. So we know there are women and children there. There, there could have been 15,000 people gathered here. Maybe, maybe 20,000. We don't know. There's a lot of people. And, and it's absolutely insurmountable odds. Nobody can is prepared for this. And Jesus looks at him, probably with a grin, and says, Hey, Philip, how do you think we should feed all these people? The test is, who's your source? Are you are you getting frantic because I'm, I'm moving in a way that doesn't make sense to you? Or are you abiding in the vine? Are you trusting me? Let me tell you about another man in the story. He comes on the scene in verse 38. Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two. Again, this is Mark being nice. He said, when they said. But John tells us who it is. If you go to John chapter 6, he goes, that was Andrew. That was Andrew. I was there. I saw him. Mark wasn't there. John was there. I saw him. It was Andrew. Listen to this. Mark, John 6, 8 and 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? I'm sure that he appreciated John, including that last question in his gospel. Andrew says, how far will they go? And and let's be honest, that's a pretty good question. I mean, you know, if you're trying to steward your resources, not a bad question. How far will these go among so many? But the, the key question is not, do I have enough? The true question is, am I willing to give what I have? See, the question is never, do I have enough? Jesus never asked that. Do you have enough? He just said, what do you have? It's not, do you have enough? It's, are you willing to give me what you have? And so here comes Andrew. He's reluctant. He's going, you know, this is a little boy's lunch. I mean, can you imagine what it must have felt like? The 12 disciples go out onto the hillside. And, you know, you're supposed to be here leading this great ministry. You guys have any food you could share? Anybody? You got got a lot of people here. We're, We're taking an offering. You, you got any snacks? Any anything? 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 And this little boy comes up and gives him his lunch. Now you know how the enemy plays in our minds. I, I can imagine Andrew's reluctance as he goes back to Jesus. Going, that's all I found. It's a little. Now it's funny in, in Sunday school. You know we used to draw pictures of this story, and the kid always had two big baguettes and like two big codfish. You know, I think they just did that because it's hard to color small with crayons. <laughs> but let me tell you that's not a boy's lunch. All right, that's not a boy's lunch. And we're talking like five little biscuits. Like little flatbread, pitas, and some fish jelly to spread on it. Just kind of, you just get some flavor in it, you know. It was it was not I mean it's just a little bit and he comes back and this is what I got. And even as he comes back, he says, but, but how far will they go among so many? And in the natural, it's an easy question to answer. Well, let's see. That was one little boy's lunch. That's probably going to feed one. Probably just one. And Andrew could have talked himself out of participation in the miracle. Just because he devalued the significance of what he had in his hands. He starts overanalyzing analyzing the situation. He starts trying to. Do the part that Jesus never asked him to do. He almost missed the miracle. But can I just encourage you today. The miracle always begins. With what you have in your hands. It always begins with what you have in your hands. The word of the Lord says in or Zechariah 4.10. Who dares despise the day. Of small beginnings. Who despises the day of small Beginnings. Stop trying to calculate your surrender. It never works. Just give Jesus everything. When, when Mary came into worship with the alabaster box, she didn't, she didn't measure out her worship. She just broke the box. She just gave everything to Jesus. And what about this little boy in the story? You know, we we really don't know anything about him except that there was a little boy's lunch. Maybe we give him more credit than he deserves. I mean, maybe Andrew just took the boy's lunch and said, Jesus needs that. I, I don't even know. I would like to think he gave it. We'll go with that narrative. I would like to think that he offered it willingly. But think about this this little boy got to be not only a participant, but a recipient of a miracle. I mean, how many of you know he he didn't go home hungry that day either? It's not like, well, you're going to have my lunch and I'm just going to sit. No. No, there was leftovers. There was plenty. He got to receive the miracle. I mean, all he gave was one little meal. He watched Jesus feed multitudes with it. He got to be the, percip- uh, the recipient and a participant. Why? Because he just gave what he had. Now listen, a lot of us want to see miracles, but can I just encourage you? If you want to see a miracle, why don't you try being the answer to somebody else's need? Why don't you try getting involved at somebody else's point of need? Because that's what happened for this little boy. He got involved. He said, you can have my lunch. And because he did, he got to be a part of a miracle. He got to be a part of something incredible. The only requirement that God has for you is willingness. Willingness. The ability that God looks for in the church is availability willingness willingness to be used when when God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt he said Moses what do you have in your hand Moses had a staff because he had been a shepherd for the last 40 years God said I can use that Moses I'm I'm not a good speaker what if they don't listen to me said no no what do you have in your hand I'm not asking for what you don't have. I'm not asking you to use the skills you don't possess. What do you have in your hand? I can use that. And with a rod, he led the people of God into freedom. When when Saul tried to empower David to fight Goliath, first thing he did was he said, Let me give you my if you're going out there to fight this giant, let me give you my armor. And so the Bible says that that Saul dressed up David in his own armor. And so here's this young man. And the Bible tells us Saul was head and shoulders taller than everyone else in Israel. So you can imagine this young man who's now moving around in armor that's way too big for him. And thankfully, David understood something. Look, if God is God, he can slay a giant with the resources that he's given me. I can't be something I'm not. I can't wear the armor that I'm not called to wear. I can't be you, Saul. But if God is God, He's given me every resource in my hands to slay the giants that He puts before me. And God has given you resources. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning, church. God has put something in your hands. I don't know what the giant is you're facing. I don't know what the miracle is that might be out there. But I know that you plus God is enough. It's enough. Do You think this boy fought that morning? As he's packing his little lunch, putting his little five biscuits in his sack and his fish. Do you think he realized that morning that he was packing the ingredients for a miracle? Can can I just say a word about faithfulness? A word about faithfulness. That that miracles usually happen on the tail end of a long obedience. Obedience. It's, it's not that we're just kind of out there doing our own thing, unaccountable to anybody, just kind of, and then all of a sudden we get in a crisis and we need a miracle. No, miracles usually are the result of a long obedience. Yeah, I, I even think about this little boy's mom and just her diligence to take care of her son. Why didn't anybody else's mom pack a lunch that day? That's what I'm wondering. Like, why, why just one boy's lunch? You know? All these negligent parents out there and, like for real. (laughs) But you know what? It didn't look glamorous. It didn't look glorious. She was just faithful, taking care of her kid. And for some of you, that's your ministry right now. You're called to the front lines of your own home. Your greatest ministry is raising up your sons, your daughters, or or your your grandkids. And, And whether it was the The job you thought you would have at this stage in your life, it's the one that God has for you. And it's the most significant thing you can do. And here she is just being faithful. She's just doing the things that she ought to do. And never, never devalue the significance of a long obedience in the same direction. Just faithful. She packed the ingredients that morning for a miracle. Look at verse 39. It says... Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Can I just say this? God is a God of order. Here's Jesus organizing all the people. Now I feel the need to say that sometimes when I talk about the miraculous. Because a lot of the church has equated a moving of the spirit with chaos. You know, I mean, if we have an order of service and we sing three songs and we pray this prayer, we receive the offering and somebody preaches, well, it might have been good church, but the spirit didn't move. But if we get two songs in and the worship goes for an hour and a half and nobody preaches and everybody just laughs and sings and has a great time, we go, wow, didn't the spirit of God move this morning? Now, sometimes God does that in services. Sometimes we totally go off the rails of what we thought was going to happen. And God is just God. And He can be God. And we anticipate those divine interruptions. But let me say, don't confuse those those moments into thinking that a move of the Holy Spirit is equated with chaos or disorganization. See, the reality is Jesus is getting ready to do something by the Spirit's power. He's about to manifest a miracle, and before he does, he gets people organized. He gets people organized. He said, If we're going to feed all these people, we've got to have a plan. If we're going to see, if we're going to see the bread and the fish multiplied and everybody's bellies full, we've got to get organized. We want you to set people in groups of a hundred and in groups of fifty and get everybody in place so that so that we can see God work on their behalf. He's a God of order. I kind of feel like this verse even describes where we're at as a church right now. You know, in our conversations all year, we've just sensed the Spirit of God getting us in order. Getting us in order. That's a hassle. Don't, Don't you think that was a little frustrating for these disciples who were fatigued? They were tired, they were hungry. And then, you know, now, Jesus, you know, they've, they've been with him enough. They saw him, you know, turn the water into wine. They've seen him do some miracles with meals. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, okay, get the people into groups. And they're going, he's going to do something. The last thing I want to do is walk 300 yards away and organize a group on the back of the hill. Hey, if you're going to do it, can I get a snack to get started? <laughs> I mean, you know, because cause it's, it's hot. It's been a long day and we were tired on the other side. Jesus says we need to get organized. It's going to take time, but we need to get organized. Another thing that I think is fascinating about this story is the next verse. 41 says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. I think it's interesting that the first thing Jesus does is break the bread. The Bible says... A broken and a contrite heart the Lord will not despise. Did you know that God uses broken things? He's about to do a miracle. But first he breaks the bread. Don't be discouraged in a place of brokenness. Broken things are perfect ingredients for a miracle. He goes on to say, Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. You know what's awesome about this story? This isn't a miracle. This is like 15,000 miracles. It's not one miracle. It's not like Jesus prayed and and He broke the bread and then He said amen and everybody looked and there was this huge pile of food. That's not how it happens. It says he, He broke the bread and He begins to give it to the disciples. He begins to pass it out. And then the disciples, they go into those quadrants of 50 and and of hundreds and they start passing. And the miracle passes through every hand. Everyone that's involved in the story is a part of the miracle. I just want to say, it, 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 this is to our church. This is very a specific um, exegesis of the scripture. But let me just encourage you to understand that if the church is going to grow, if the body of Christ is going to be strengthened. We have to be willing to receive ministry from many hands. Let me clarify that statement. You know, the average church in America is 100 people or less. And there's plenty of factors that go into that. But I'll say one of the leading factors is a a mentality that says, I can only receive ministry from the pastor. And though somebody might not verbalize that, the pushback when the church starts to to grow is all of a sudden, well, you know, maybe somebody else comes to visit in the hospital and and a person gets offended because they have this conviction on the inside that I can only receive ministry from the pastor and, and... They don't want to join a life group or a small group. I'm not talking about you. These are other churches. Just stay with me. They don't want to join a small group because I don't really feel like I'll be ministered to there. Now, come to church. Yes. Hear the message. Yes. Say amen. Absolutely. Well, maybe not. But but I can't receive ministry from somebody else. I want you to see what happens here in this miracle of multiplication. Jesus doesn't multiply all the bread and fish. Jesus breaks it. He blesses it. He passes it out. And it's in the distribution that it's multiplied. It's as they serve. It's as the miracle goes from one hand to the next hand that God begins to bless the work. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12 tells us what the minister's job is in the church. It's not to be uh, the, the sole distributor of bread. The Bible says in this verse, it is Christ." Who gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up? Did you catch that? The role of the pastor in the church is to equip the saints, to equip the church, the body of Christ for the works of the ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. The miracle of happens when the bread passes through many hands miracles can take place look at verse 42 they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000 incredible story and again that's just the men Matthew tells us there were women and children there as well. Let me just close by by focusing in not on a character, but on the loaves, on the bread. We know that through many of Jesus' parables and his teachings that, that we can find us even in reference to an inanimate object. And I think there's a parallel to our lives even in the loaves. What is it that Jesus was trying to, to get us to understand Why why did He do this miracle two times? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire all four gospel writers to to record this? What is God trying to say to us here in verse 43? Through the leftovers. Once again, I want to just turn your attention to the way that John records those words. John 6.12, it says, Jesus said, Gather the pieces That are left over. Let nothing be wasted. God uses broken things. And his intention is that nothing would be wasted. It's interesting that this story that we're reading. As soon as this miracle happens. Jesus sends the disciples in a boat. To the other side again. They still haven't gotten any rest. He says, I'm going to dismiss the service. You guys go ahead and go. And so he dismisses the crowd. He goes up to the mountain to pray. And then the Bible says there in the middle of the night, Jesus comes down off the mountain and he sees the disciples out there. They're straining against the oars. A storm has arisen and they are fighting for their life against the current. The Bible says that Jesus goes walking out to them on the water. He comes walking on the water. This is still in Mark 6. And the Bible says they freaked out. That's not an exact quote. That's what it says. They panicked. They panicked. They see Jesus and they said, it's a ghost. They're fighting for their life. They think they're about to die. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. And they're terrified. And what they should have done is just look down. That's it. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought we are supposed to look up. No, no, no. What they should have done, they should have looked down because they had 12 basketfuls of broken pieces in the boat. They're surrounded by all of this bread. And here's Jesus walking on the water and so quickly have they already forgotten who it is that is our source. Oh, well, we believe you for the food thing, but I mean, now uh, this is different. We're out on the water. Yeah, thank God he helped me with my my finances, but now i got an issue with my health. This is different. Well, yeah, I mean, God, God helped me in the past, you know, when I was sick, but now it's my kids. Now i got other issues, and they forgot about all the broken pieces that were laying there. The Bible says in verse 51, the commentary in Mark 6, it says, Then he, Jesus, climbed into the boat. With them, and the wind and the waves died down. They were completely amazed. They shouldn't have been amazed, but they were completely amazed. Verse 42 says, For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand the loaves. They didn't understand the fact that Jesus was saying, look, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just do the best with what you have, I got the rest. I got you covered. You're not going to sink. There is enough here. If you'll trust me, if you'll believe in me. And too often, what happens in our lives is we forget what God did in our past. It's the leftovers. It's not fresh on our hearts anymore. And we go into the next situation, discrediting the broken pieces. Jesus said, don't forget about the loaves. Don't forget about the loaves. I'm going to tell you, you might have some broken pieces in your life, but those broken pieces preach a powerful message. They testify. You might not have a basket full of bread, but you've got a testimony. God has been faithful. God has kept you. God, you're here today. That tells me that there's some broken pieces in your life that God wants to use. They tell us that the God who took you here will get you there. Don't panic in the boat. Don't panic in the storm. God brought you here. He'll get you there. Look down. Look at the loaves. Understand it's the same God. It's the same provider.